2: The Telegraph. Telegraph.
1: Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph and Remy Martin. Coming up, we're speaking with the former England and sail winger Mark Cueto. The former Scotland scrum half Rory Lawson, Nigel Owens is back and Rachel Burford talks Harlequin's brilliant win over Sarries in the Premier 15s. But first this week, in the studio, I'm joined by the Welsh Centurion. I don't know if that means he wears strange costumes. I doubt it. Martin Williams.
3: Hi, Martin. How are you? I'm very good, Moral. know I, I can clarify, <laughs> do not wear strange costumes. Well, not in public. <laughs> not I, in public uh, anyway, exactly. yeah. <laughs> the uh, second round of the
1: uh, Champions Cup, Heineken Champions Cup, or whatever you like to call it. Well, what a surprise. Leinster losing to Toulouse. Now, I'd written probably unwisely, the week before when Toulouse uh, played Bath, that they were a shadow of their former selves. Now, that might still be true, given their pedigree a long time ago, but was it Leinster getting caught cold or did Toulouse play particularly well?
3: I think they surprised me as well more. I wouldn't have called that at the start of the weekend. That's a Leinster win all day long, isn't it? Particularly after they started against Wasps the week before. But... You know, <laughs> how French can you get? You cannot trust it's, it's, the French, And Toulouse, you know, there was parts of that game. You think, you no, know, they played some fantastic rugby. What impressed me about Toulouse, they actually went behind a couple of times, and you thought, right, this is where Lens so will pull away. But they dug in. You know, Medard, who seems to be getting better with age, a couple of fantastic tries and. It's, I think it's good for the tournament as well to lose. Yeah. You know, you, I know it's a cliche, but they're a powerhouse. They've got the heritage. They've got in the tournament's fantastic. So, you know, I think we all thought all of us at Leinster, are just going to waltz this tournament, and that was a big span in the works. I for think them, for the so. first
1: time in quite a long time, they met their match at the breakdown.
3: Yeah, they did. And, you know, that, there was no Jérôme Cano, who, obviously, that's what Toulouse would have signed him for that. But they are, look, they fight, the physical, aren't they, the French teams? They are, you're not going to out-muscle them, you're not going to outpower power them, which I thought Leinster, that's what Leinster did to Wasps. Yeah. That pack totally dominated the, the Wasps pack. So, yeah, they did, and they, they, they come up short. So, you know, in general, I think it's good for the tournament, and it's good that, and it's opened that group right up.
1: Well, let's talk about the second favourites in most people's eyes, possibly promoted now, I don't know. Saracens 29-10 winners against Lyon again. Never looked like losing to me.
3: It didn't. They don't seem to be firing on all cylinders, Saracens, but they're still winning... With a bonus point. Um Leon have been very, very disappointing. Um, first out in the champions cup, doing really well in the top fourteen, blown away by the blues last week. But Saturdays have just got they've got so much X factor and they even without the Vinopolo players, you still got a he was outstanding. Farrell pulls the strings. So look, they are they're gonna be there or thereabouts, aren't they? They're gonna get out of that group. You know, you think Glasgow Glasgow pushed them all the way, but I just think, you know, on Saturday night, the the game was bet all Orbit over, over at half time. Yeah. Um, but I just think Saracen, not quite clicking, but you'd want to be really at full steam due in October. It's all about they know how to peak, they know how to get through.
1: Well, you can't underestimate how much more the Vonnepaula brothers bring to any team they're playing.
3: Well, I think there's a stat, isn't it, that some of them, both of them, are playing. It's something like an eighty yeah. percent win ratio. So and of course, look-
1: the George's performance then raises another. Uh, well, I don't know if it's a problem, Freddie Jones. Maybe he's decided. A lot of people are saying, well, if you play him on the flank, uh, number six, presumably, then you'll get him running with the ball in his hand more, which he might not do from second row.
3: Yeah, I think it's a big quandary. I think he, did, I, for me, I think he's an outstanding, world class four. I think he brings a lot more to a pack if he's in that boiler house as a four, but with the injuries they've got in the back row, um, obviously no Rob Shaw, no Vanapola, he could have to, and you the, in fairness to England, I was going to say they then, sorry, bro, but England have got a raft. A <laughs> That's raft, all right,
1: we're, they, <laughs> we can tell you're not
3: English. <laughs> they've got a raft of second rows and they have got strength and depth there. So he's such an athlete, isn't he? I bumped into Sean Edwards actually yesterday at the Cardiff Blues game. And he was saying that uh, he co- he's coaching the Ospreys now, and they're a preseason game against Saracens. And he was just, he's saying about a just looking at him warming up. He's like an NFL player, mm. just so athletic, and you know a strip of the ball on the halfway. But the ring. thing is, as you know,
1: a six has to do a lot of dog work behind the scenes. <laughs> it, not that Vinny Pola is lazy. Not that he doesn't make his fair share of tackles. But when you've got him as a major ball carrier, which is why you would play him there, then you know his focus isn't necessarily on doing all the hard draft which Sixers do.
3: you don't want Billy hit hitting many rucks and clean up rucks. You want Billy Vanapola with the ball in his hands as much as you possibly can. And I think you as well, he's obviously very dynamic. He's probably not winning the turnovers he was winning in the contact area when he first came on the scene. But I think, you know as well as I do more, it all depends on all the best back rows in the world have balance to them. Apart from Mm -hmm. England. Apart from (laughs) England. Which, you know, they got away in fairness then they won, was it, two Grand Slams in a row with Rob Sean Haskell at six and seven Which should never have done, but I think they were so well drilled and and as a unit they're all clicked for them. But I think if you know look at New Zealand, the probably greatest back row England have ever had back Hill Delalio, incredible balance, then you New Zealand back row of Kano, Richie McCaughey, and Reed, there's balance there. And I think that's where, you know, for some reason you can't produce an out and out seven. Um, maybe Sam Underhill might be the answer to that question, but it'll be very, very interesting where Eddie Jones does put a Toji.
1: I'd probably shout him for uh, Richard's Winterbottom and Tea. That's quite good. Um, look, let's do yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. No, look, can't compare yeah. here. Uh, I didn't see, and I don't think anyone saw, probably certainly not in Wales, Leicester's dismantling almost, and luggies
3: role in it he was outstanding wasn't he and if he's fit and firing that's a pretty scary thought for the opposition teams and I wasn't surprised that Leicester won Scarlet's have been huffing and puffing this year they've got a lot of injuries you know Reese Patchell Rob Evans James Davis, and it's, it's you, all Leicester these... have been
1: fairly indifferent
3: though. yeah Leicester at, at Welford Road and I thought again a similar thing to the uh, Toulouse-Leinster game Scarlet's went ahead after about an hour and you thought oh, this is where they'll kick on but in fairness to Leicester you know they came to life the last twenty minutes. He was unstoppable. Too long. he was he just on the front foot. And they deserved they win the Scarlets have to get into the semi final last year Will be very very disappointing. And they and they have been lost the Rassin in at home last weekend when that uh, two games really that were there for the taking and they've come up short.
1: Well, I do know that Eddie Jones has always wanted to play Tulangi. He's always whether twelve or thirteen because of the different sort of things he can do and the dynamism. He hasn't been available. Not not his fault. Continual injuries. And when he came back this time, I just said, look, leave him alone. Don't talk about England. Just let him play. Is he now at the stage where th- he can come back?
3: Absolutely. I think he is one of those players where, you know, if he's 90% fit and he's had a couple of games under his belt, you throw him in because he's got that X factor. You know, he's up against Jonathan Davis, uh, one of the best outside centres yeah. in, in the world you at play the He played 12 or 13? Manu? Yeah. I th- I, look, I think if you can get a, uh, England, if you've got a 10-12-13 access of Farrell, Henry Slade, and Tua 13. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, you know, all fit and firing. as some combination there. So that would, you know, that would be my 10-12-13. Well, that would be them.
1: England's 159th <laughs> centre partnership <laughs> <laughs> since since 2003. Only a slight exaggeration. Let's just lastly mention uh, a notable win for Newcastle against Montpellier. Now, Newcastle have been in, well... That, that's not true. They haven't been in terrible form, but they've been losing games narrowly. didn't? And last year, they were winning games narrowly. And I thought this might be the signal for them to kick on in the Premiership, which is bad news for everyone around because the, the top, I think, is almost sorted in this sense. I think Exeter... And the yeah. Saracens are that step above. Yeah. Particularly with wasp being indifferent. But the scrap down the bottom is gonna be monumental this it's year.
3: Incredible. It's incredible a couple of weekends for Newcastle. When you I don't know where their playing budget is, but when you look at the it's two quite low. Yeah. You look at the two teams. I think the play top is against. about
1: seven. I think they spend about four.
3: Yeah. And you look at what Toulon, where they've gone down to Toulon last weekend and won and Montpellier who've come up to Newcastle and they've won to beat those two powerhouses of uh the top fourteen is an incredible feat. And the way they were, they were, way they won it last week was uh, yesterday. Sorry, was incredible. Thirty nine phases at the end, pretty phenomenal. Just shows you know they haven't really got any superstars. Newcastle, mm-hmm. but Dean Richards done an absolutely incredible job. And the, the coaching team behind it. Yeah, actually. yeah, I think, yeah. you know, Dave Alder and all those guys as well. I think you've got Scott McLeod yeah. on there as well as a forwards coach. So it's pretty you know, you want to see teams like that's what Europe's all about. It's all about these big powerhouses getting knocked over by, you know, the lesser lights, if you like. So they've done brilliantly just to get in the competition from last year, Newcastle, haven't they, by getting qualification. But to win their opening two games sets up a double header against Edinburgh, yeah, you know, really well in December.
1: Well good you should mention that because we can now speak to a man who was not only at the Newcastle game but former Scotland Edinburgh Newcastle and Gloucester Scrum half is on the line Rory Lawson hi Rory Evening Brian how you doing Do you you want to give us just uh, a couple of lines on uh, on Newcastle
4: Yeah really interesting game actually Newcastle
1: out the blocks quickly
4: built a score um, Montpellier struggled against a suffocating Newcastle defence but to be fair Montpellier second half came out the blocks, had all the momentum, almost for 40 minutes. And then just at the end, they ended up going off their feet, I think, at a ruck when the clock had gone red. And from there, Newcastle kicked a touch, and it was, what, 39 odd Mm inches. They did incredibly well to keep a hold of the ball, making inches and then going backwards, and then making more inches and going backwards. And then finally, Callum Chick, driven over by a couple of his teammates, and the roof almost came off
1: Kingston Park. Yeah, because it's quite difficult to get an atmosphere sometimes there, isn't it? You know, um, would it be an open stadium and whatever? But good crowd this time. Yeah, the crowd was all right,
4: um, and certainly they, they were kept involved in what was a, a really interesting uh, tussle. The, the in the first half there was the weather changed really quickly, sideways rain, as uh, I, I was accustomed to at, at Kingston <laughs> yes. Park. But um, second half it actually improved and. Montpellier just seemed to have an absolute stranglehold on the game and I couldn't see for a moment the Falcons coming back into it but somehow they managed to dig deep. Dean Richards, if, if nothing else, certainly has a, a squad who have a load of fight in them, they've got a load of ability in there as well and, and they showed yesterday that they, they had a, a real ability to see out a game against
3: all of us. Rory Snaget. Congratulations on uh, getting hitched. Well done, Paul. Thanks very much. Oh, well yeah. done. I yeah. know good,
1: no good divorce lawyer. If it goes wrong.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Mate, as a fellow Celt, that's, that's enough for the English teams. Uh, talk to me about the Scottish. What a weekend for! Firstly, Edinburgh on Saturday, and then Glasgow yesterday.
4: Yeah, there's. I mean, ten points from the uh, the combination of the two games. I have to say, both both weekends, uh, both opening rounds for the team, the Scottish teams were slightly disappointing. Albeit there were nuggets of real positives within them. Uh, Edinburgh was losing away to Montpellier, a game that Richard Cockrell came away from saying, I really hate being uh, a, a competitive loser. And he, and he showed his side at the weekend. We're just phenomenal against Toulon. I know that Toulon are not playing the best rugby they ever have, but at the same time, when you look at the names on the team sheet, you've still got to go out and beat them. And I thought Edinburgh were absolutely exemplary. They, they put together... Uh, they, they just got things right. They got their structures right. They had a real cutting edge to them. They had an attitude. They've got Big Bill Mata, who is an absolute ph- phenomenon. And the, the players around him absolutely thrived. They scored one of the tries of the tournament so far with, with Henry Pergos's score. And they've come away with five points and, and got themselves right back into the group. From a Glasgow per- perspective... A dream start down in Cardiff uh, yesterday, um, getting two scores in the first five or so minutes, and then they just built on their lead. And so often this season, Glasgow have been spoken about as being clinical at times, but very careless at times, and they went away from home against Nuggets' old side and uh, and put together a, a really great performance. And again, five points gets them right back into the running.
1: What is going on with their
3: kit? Uh, yeah did you watch it it, I had to commentate on it it, and we've all three of us have all commentated when they ran out and it was bad enough you're trying to work out who's who. but when it actually started playing kick chase for instance when you kick the ball to 15 and you're looking right what's the defensive line like you had no idea who was who it was an absolute farce it's a
4: farce for everyone isn't it Yeah. yeah the referee you know no difference in real socks or anything it's just it was a shocker um and I'm sure there will be a couple of people being asked significant questions because it does it was it was almost trending on twitter such as the uh it's but, um, you know... That, that, I, I that's guess, why the
3: Blues lost. We're using that as an <laughs> Yeah,
1: exactly,
3: exactly. What Go gets I,
1: me no. about these things is someone obviously comes up with this idea. I think this is a great idea. Uh, but then someone else gets approval. They, do you think this is a good idea? Oh, yeah. We goes <laughs> to a committee and they all agree. So there's several stages at which anyone with any sense could say, no, this is bloody dreadful.
3: Well, do you know the excuse I heard yesterday was you've got to give the jerseys like six weeks in advance. And on a piece of paper, apparently <laughs> the jerseys look very different, um, and that's why they. That sensible, isn't
1: it? Yeah. Anyway, Rory, look. This what does this say for Scotland? Because Gregor Townsend will be happy about the, you know, fact they're running into uh, form. Uh, the November internationals are coming: up, Wales, Fiji, South Africa, Argentina. The last two made significantly more difficult now for everybody because those two teams have shown forming a rugby championship. What are you expecting? What should Gregor expect?
4: You know, I think for, for me, the, the trends and hopes and expectations and what, what Gregor I know will will understand is that when the Scottish pro teams and the Scottish national team get things right, they're very, very difficult teams to beat. Mm. When they get a few things wrong, you leave yourself exposed. And at both both pro teams at the weekend showed... That they've that they've got the ability, they've got the execution on their day, so it's going to be very similar. I think the the challenge is a great opportunity for Gregor to see a range of players in a in a block of four games, which is the first time Scotland have had four in the Austin Internationals. And I think obviously his, his hand being forced um, in the first one being outside of the window, so guys like Finn Russell, Greg Laidlaw, won't be released. But the beauty is that right now you've got someone like Adam Hastings who is playing absolutely out of his skin. I think he's got three or four man of the matches. He can see that Finn's playing well at Rassing. So he's. we've now got a bit of depth in that number 10 uh, shirt. So and it, in many ways, it would be great for him to be able to see a, a range of players playing. Now, all of the games, when you actually, when you consider it, you're playing Wales and Cardiff, you're playing Fiji, who have got a brilliant squad of, of rugby players, and then... South Africa and Argentina, who, uh, as you mentioned, Brian, have had real snippets of high-quality stuff in uh, in the Rugby Championship. It's it's a big it's a big test, mm-hmm. and uh, the key thing for me is that the squad get through and remain as fit as possible, so we don't pick up too many injuries. Uh, we managed to maybe unearth a few guys who have had club form and get the opportunity on the international stage, and that. Uh, Autumn's typically been quite a good time for Scotland to go out and and perform and, and build performances um, towards the end of the year. So we've made we've made uh, Murrayfield a, a, a tough place to go and play in November. And I know the weather plays a bit of a uh, part in that, but at the same time, um, Scotland will be bang up for these four games.
1: Two wins out of four, possibly three.
4: I think I think three will be the standard that Gregor sets, and it's difficult to know exactly what that breakdown will be, but as always, they will look to get out the blocks and obviously the the wounds are still a little bit raw from a trip down to Cardiff, certainly for me still from this season just gone, so it will be a very good challenge to go go away from home in an autumn series, which I don't think will ever have been done before, and it's a a great test to kick things off and ultimately that that gives you a chance to build a bit bit of momentum.
1: We're going to leave it there, but thank you very much for speaking to us. Thanks, fellas. Cheers, Rory. And that's Rory Lawson, former Scotland, Edinburgh, Newcastle and Gloucester, Scrum Half. We're now going to talk to Mark Coato, the former England and Sail Wing, and we'll cover not just the Challenge Cup, but we'll be talking a little bit about England. Hello, Mark. Are you there? Evening, lads.
3: All right? Yeah, not too How bad. How are you, Coates? All right? Very well, mate. Very well. How are you? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> there's a
1: knowing, uh, there's a knowing fuison in, we, the, we, in we that one. We always have a
3: little chuckle yeah. when, uh, being This is the exactly, what goes
1: on tour, stays on tour. Uh, it?
3: You've got couple, red, man. What's there, going there's on? There's a couple of them. but he's, I've, I've, I've got a nickname for Craig. called Rocky. So, <laughs> you know what he will tell you off it, <laughs> Okay.
1: But not on right. air. <laughs> uh, Mark, um, sale, poor start to the season by anyone's, uh, mm. account. But look, uh, Conor's not to be underestimated. Decent win. What will that do for their confidence? Do you think
0: it'll be massive? It'll be massive for the confidence. I think as as you said, you know, the first six rounds of the prem were were disappointing. But you know, equally, when you take out players like Fausterkirk, you know, Roland van Rensburg, Chris Ashton, you know, Denny Solomon, you take those sort of players out of any team, you know, it's going to have an impact. Mm. And uh, it's no coincidence that. You know, all those guys have, have been back available in the last week or two, and we're suddenly stringing uh, some results together. Um, you know, the game at the weekend was the third win on the bounce across a couple of competitions. So, you know, the boys are, are gaining competition, uh, gaining confidence all the time, which is uh, which is great.
1: Well, the clerk's contribution both to Sale and South Africa, you know, has been absolutely tremendous. I mean, Chris Ashton, having got back in the squad, he's not going to have much time. Uh, where well, he hasn't had much time to uh, to prove what he, he can do, and for for his own reasons again. But bearing in mind the form he's shown all the way through his career, do you think hmm. what do you think of his England's chances? Genuinely, I, I think he's got a great chance. I think uh, being massively selfish with my uh,
0: shark's head on, you know, I I hope he doesn't get picked because obviously he's been one player that that you know that that ability that everyone knows he's, he's got, you know, just to finish tries, you know, to, to, to play debut this weekend for for the club, having not played a game since the back end of May, you know, throughout the whole pre-season, to then get a silly ban on a, on a pre-season friendly game in France, you know, to come out and, and, and score a hat-trick on debut just sums the guy up, you know, so I think purely from from that point of view, you know, you you've, you've you've got to expect to see him in that squad. I think the fact he's, he's come back to England, you know, the, the last game that he played, you know, for the Barbars, he scored a hat-trick against England, so couldn't have done it in a, in a you know, on a better uh, better platform there in front of Eddie Jones at Twickenham. Mm. So, you know, I think the fact that Eddie's picked him in, in his recent couple of squads, he's been away with, with the squad training. You know, he, he's, he's got to be uh, in pole position for, for a place. And, um, you know, you can't argue against that with a, like
3: say, like a hat at the weekend. Quite. Um, obviously, I really care about England selection. But the one thing that does, <laughs> does, of does you do. and, I, and I'll take your expertise on this because one thing that always baffles me, I'm not sure. It'd be interesting to get your take on what your England back three would be. But one guy, who, who Eddie Jones, never seems to pick. And for me, whenever I watch Saracens, he's sensational. Is Andy Andy How Good? Just a phenomenal Alex yeah, Um It's just a baffling one from because he's such an X factor player, and that's probably mm. the one thing England lack.
0: Yeah, I, I'm a bit the other way. I, I, I think he's a fantastic club player, right? Um, and he obviously he's playing in a ridiculously strong Saracens team, and he, I think he does. He does look good and he does play well week in week out. I just think he lacks a little bit at international level. Mm-hmm. Um, for for me, I think someone like an Elliot Daly, you know, Chris Ashton, you know, he played his whole season or the majority of the season last year for Toulon at, at fullback and was was outstanding. Um, you know, so Alex Good, I think, is a great player and it's someone that a lot of people talk about. You know, and and maybe it is a surprise considering his form that he hasn't had more caps. You know, I think um, Mike Brown's obviously been a massive sort of mainstay in that team under, you know, under Stuart Lancaster and, and Eddie Jones. Um, you know, and he's he's solid. You know, he's a he's a he's a solid eight out of ten, seven half eight out of ten every week. And you know, you guys know as as well as anybody that you know consistency is is such a key part of. Mm -hmm. of any international players game Um, but for me yeah I I probably wouldn't pick Alex Good, even though you know a lot of people probably would to be fair
1: What about your back three if you had the choice they're all on form they're all available
0: I think currently again it's difficult there's so many there's been so many injuries you know I think Mm -hmm. Anthony Watson is a player that I really I really like Um, I really like Jack Knoll I think he's a proper sort of Anthony Watson's, you know, your sort of racehorse, you know, his, his proper sort of high end pedigree. You know, he looks like a racehorse when you look close to him, got veins bulging out of veins in his in his legs. Jack Knoll is a bit of a contrast, he's a bit of a you know, he's a nitty gritty sort of um, you know, grafter. He likes to get close to the rook and you know, get involved. And and like I say, someone like an a like an Elliot Daly, you know, he's he's got a big left boot, he's you know, he's, he's electric, you know, with, when he gets the ball with a bit of space. So I think I think on form those three guys would be pushing it you know, you know, close for my sort of back three, but you know, again, you know, thinking about sort of Chris Ashton and, and the form that he's in, you know, it'd be great to see him back in a in an England shirt. You know, probably slightly biased there, having played a lot of rugby with him and, and now being in wearing a sort of Sale sharp shirt. I think it'd be great for him personally, and it'd be great for the club to, uh, you know, to get a couple of boys back in that union team.
1: Well, if anything's certain, it's probably that Eddie Jones won't pick the back three that everyone, <laughs> <laughs> everyone yeah. thinks he should be, including yours or yeah. mine or Nuggets. Mark, thank you very much for talking to us.
3: No worries, Cheers, Chris. Cheers, can speak to you mate
1: Before we talk to Nigel Owens, let's talk about the subject that seems to be dominating nearly every weekend because players are finding it difficult, as indeed are officials and spectators and pundits and everyone else. The high tackle law, as you know, the safety aspect of this has been hammered home and, for me, is paramount. And Mm. uh, the problems come with this, doesn't it? It started, people started tackling higher because, one, if you're chest height, you might dislodge the ball. Two, you can stop people off loading. And three, you're probably going to stop the momentum more quickly than if you tackle around the legs. The problem for me has come because a lot of players are using shoulders and not really making a proper attempt. Mm. And also the emerging evidence has come out that the largest wrist concussion, and this includes tackling lower as well, even though there are potential dangers from the knee, come from contact with the head in tackles. The one that stands out is a Cipriani one. To me, look, if you don't use your arms in a tackle, it's illegal whether it's intentional yeah. or not. So that's the first thing that players should be doing. That's the first thing for referees. With Ciprian, it was difficult because it wasn't the initial tackle. It sort of went into him a bit. He did put his shoulder in, but to me, more to put his weight, whatever weight he's got, behind the drive and to make sure the momentum didn't go. Now, whatever players think, they're going to carry on with this. You know why? Because they have a legal and moral obligation. They don't want what's happened in the NFL. They don't want what's happened with the uh, outcome of lots of CTE cases, and they've got to sell the game to parents and kids. And whatever players think at the professional level, their behaviour is replicated. I know this, because my kids play mini rugby down, lower down. So, the problem is obviously consistency. Now, what do you think could make the situation better?
3: It's a really difficult one. I think what frustrates everybody is we know Danny Cipriani, it was accidental. Mm-hmm. I think, I think 90%, 99% of players who played the game know it and he's got red carded for an accident and the game is effectively over. Mm-hmm. And as a contest, you know people pay good money to watch a game of rugby because you want to see a contest and you're not quite sure of the outcome. So I think that's the frustration. Then you, know, you can go through three or four other instances doing the game which could very well be red cards as well so you could end up in a, in a scenario where you've got 12 on 12 but I think at the moment it's in vogue as well and I think if you go back to f- two, three years ago it was all the tip tackle yeah. and it was chaos about the tip tackle then it was collisions in the air chaos but collisions in the air but they've more or less been eradicated yeah. and I think six months down the line all players will understand. Look, I can't go anywhere near, yeah. you know, above nipple height, they're going to bring that in as well. So I think it will, at the moment, there's a little bit of chaos because it's quite new and referees are being incredibly harsh. I think where the powers to be have got to try and come up with some sort of, I don't know what the scenario is to help the game, but it's a scenario like the Danny Sipriani one where we all know it's an accident. It's 20 minutes to the game, that's the end of the contest.
1: Well, whatever effect it has on, on the game can't be in the referee's mind. To me, you're going to have more problems even when players get used to this While if you leave the law as it is.
3: Do you it's think it should be brought high. down lower right again? It
1: down there, having the trials uh, about the nipple one And that will mean that players know they should start lower. This is what it's... And you know as well as I do, and players know this, vast majority of times when you go into a tackle, you have a choice as to where you go and how you do it. And they've simply got to start lower. Then there'll be fewer of these. Now, remember when, when people start saying, well, what's to stop people dipping into tackles and whatever? Well, first of all, in the heat of a game, that might not be the first thing on your mind. If there are things like that, Possibly you can sort them out by replays, and anyone who does that should get sanctioned as well. But I just go back to this. Remember when we were talking about the collisions of the air and people saying, Well, what's to stop jumpers running in to people who are static and getting penalties? Well, the fact is it hasn't happened.
3: No, exactly. And that's where And it may
1: well not happen with this one, and and the greater purpose. The thing about the accidental uh, aspect to me, and I thought this was the law, and Nigel Owens perhaps can, uh, can clarify this. If the player has uh, has lowered himself, accidentally or whatever, and there's a shot, that to me, I thought that was going to downgrade what might be a red card to a yellow, yellow, provided the tackle was a genuine one and wasn't one of these shoulder tackles. And the same thing with Cipriani. If it is genuinely accidental, then I thought that that would grade it down. I didn't think it was an offence of strict liability.
3: That's exactly my take on it as well. So it'd be interesting to see Nigel's way. For me, I think... The red, I know they're trying to stamp their authority and you know really make a mark on lowering the tackle line, but I just think reds are being given out a little bit too quickly. Mm-hmm. And if you're in doubt, if it's a doubt for me, then it should be a yellow. Mm. And if in a Jerome Kano case, for instance, and if you know, you look at it and it is sanctioned a red, you get the ban afterwards. But I think, for me, a red card should only be given if we look at a situation and think, yeah, that's definitely red card. If there's doubt for the sake of the game, Actually, that 80 minutes, I think you should go for a yellow. Now, you know, Nigel will be able to tell us a lot more, I'm sure. But I just think that's what's frustrating so many spectators and ex-players and, and players as well. But I, I tell think.
1: you what, this is going to stay
3: because... Oh, it's not going to get any higher. You no, know, it's no, going to stay.
1: Players are going to have to get used to it. I do make the point that you can still hit people very hard, you know, even lower down. Anyone who says the game is going soft is a moron, Absolutely. And at the end of the day... Uh, we'll hopefully get a, 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 a safer game with all the aspects there. So they're going to have to learn. So it's not going to go. I think we've got Nigel on the line, haven't we? Now, hello, Nigel
2: know I've just learned something tonight now there's a lot of morals about the place because if people are <laughs> of people who think the game is going stop they, they must be they must be on a different they must be on a different planet they, they want to put the boots on and go out to Saturday exactly uh, it's afternoon br- and, and then they can make a decision whether the game has going
3: to or not Nigel, no, listen, I get you it's brutal night isn't it what well, you know the intensity now is just a different level isn't it then people understand that <laughs>
2: No, and I don't think they they do Nugget, get you know, and, and you know you, you've you've played at the height of that intensity really, and 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 probably intensity is, is maybe even a bit more. So Absolutely. now maybe even with ball and play time a bit more and stuff as well. The game's evolving. Players are getting bigger and faster and all the time. So, the game is evolving. And so some of the hits going in mm-hmm. into the game. You know, you you wonder sometimes. You you think yourself, how the hell did that player get back off the ground with some of the hits mm-hmm. that goes goes into the game? And what I tell people is this nugget like is. The game is not softer now, the game is cleaner. What you had 20, 30 years ago, was act of thuggery and dirtiness, you know, booting a player in the head on the floor, or or punching a, a guy from behind. That, that's not hard. No. No, that, that, no, it's not. That is cowardice. That that's yeah. gone from the yeah. game. The game is not soft. The game now is more physical. I think the game has gone more physical in in the last two or three years, even oh, to what yeah. it was, you know, four or five years when 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 you were playing, Absolutely. and it, it was it was hard then, oh. you know.
1: Well, Nigel, look, let, let's go on to one of the aspects that has got significantly harder both in the impacts and the way that these have gone that's a tackle area now look i know you can't comment contractually on yours or your colleagues decisions but there's a question mark bennett says look what's the answer to the accidental red card situation i was at Turman on saturday and the contest was over after the cipriani card etc 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 i don't know how much you heard of the conversation i was having uh, yeah, I've
2: worked quite a bit of it, and, and yeah. the points of both you're making were, you know, were, were very, well, look, tell specific, very def- as well. Tell us the tell us the
1: definitive law on this. What is red? Is there a downgrading and so on? Are we wrong? Yeah.
2: Well, I think the first thing is nothing, nothing's changed. There's no, there hasn't been any law change. They are trialing the, the below the nipple or the nipple line in the rugby, in the championship in England, but only in the cup games, not in the league games. So only in the championship cup. The, so there hasn't been a law change at all. The law is the same. If you tackle high above the line of the shoulder, it's a high tackle. What happens next is the severity of the tackle and, you know, did you lead with the shoulder? Did you lead with your forearm? So anything that is above the shoulder is a high tackle. What what constitutes the outcome of what happens next is the severity of it, which the referee takes into account. So the first thing the referee needs to decide in any contact, head on head, shoulder to head, arm to head, any contact like that that happens with any tackle, the first thing the referee has to decide is this. Has there been foul play? That's the first thing you will see incidents where two players are upright. It's just a rugby collision, but there hasn't been any foul play. So a foul play is when a player tackles above the line of the shoulder, or he leads with a forearm or leads with the shoulder, which becomes a dangerous tackle. So the referee will decide, first of all, has there been foul play? When he decides it could have a a full-on collision, which looks a really nasty one, but it may not be foul play. So in that instance, the referee plays on when he determines there is foul play the sanction then tends to start if you've got a, a shoulder to head or a contact with a the head then you're looking at pro- you, you probably start with a red card and work your way down on actually what has happened so that means what's contributed to it you know what, was the player who was going to make the tackle was was he for example Pushed off balance by another player, an opposition player, which caused him then to catch the tackle high, which he wouldn't have done otherwise. Was the guy running into him, you know, dipping a considerable height? Was he being tackled and was already down waist high when the other guy was lining up to make what would have been a perfectly legal Tackle and he makes contact with the head, but then circumstances contributed to that. So that's what would bring down from your red to your yellow, mm-hmm. to a penalty, or or even a play on if a referee fee- referee feels there has been no foul play.
1: What part does outcome? Uh, game, whether the player is injured.
2: Well, you you don't really take into the outcome. You you, you deal on the the act itself. You know, so if you're gonna, you to you've got to ask yourself if there's been an act of foul play. Then you need to decide what sanction that is going to be so the fact that you could have a tackle which means a player goes off injured uh, or receives treatment on the field but it's nothing more than a than a penalty or a a yellow card but the nature of the tackle you could then well have a, a tackle where the player is not injured, but the actual tackle itself was so bad, it's just pure luck that the guy wasn't injured, and that could be a straight red. So you deal with the actual offence itself, rather than the outcome of, of what has happened, really.
3: No, just a quick one from me, I don't know if you can answer this, but um, what about the process of, of the TMO and the actions being shown on the big screen in front of the whole crowd? I know Moro's big NFL fan like me and they did in the World Cup the VAR with the referees actually go off because it must be so difficult when you know, like Torman Park, we you know and you know, what that place can be like for the referee, with that's on the big screen and the whole crowd are jeering as you're seeing that, surely you know, whether you like it or not, that's going to have an influence. Do you think there is a, a, a place to bring in just a little screen on the side so you can go off and make the decision yourself without sort of the outside influences? First,
2: I'm speaking from a personal point of view here. Personally, it, it wouldn't affect me what the crowd are, are booing or, or, or doing when you're looking at a decision because you base it on, you know, on what you're seeing. Now, you know, I've been refereeing for 32 years and, you know, I've I, I refereed, 84 test matches. So I have experience of being in the cold and making those big decisions with the crowd of booing. So it doesn't affect me when I make those decisions. I I base it on what I see. But what I have said a couple of weeks ago when we got together a group of referees, I, I do like what they did with the VAR and the Football World Cup where the referee went to the sideline. He looked at the screen there Nobody else could see what was going on, or could contribute, or have their say, or try to, you know, influence whatever they were trying to do. And and I liked that. I I really did quite like that. But to be honest with I would like to think that a referee, you know, no matter how much pressure is on you from the crowd, that you will yeah. make a decision based on on what is right and not let the influence of the crowd uh, influence you. That, that you know that I don't think the referees. Do sort of let the crowd influence them, or I'd be very disappointed if if they did do that, you know. But I personally, know I would base it on what 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 you see on the screen. And the last thing I would say on 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 this is, look, well I went into the I went into the Welsh squad, what not hey, last last season Six Nations, just when there was a big clamp down on the high tackles, and I went in and I, I said to the Welsh squad, I said, look you have to make sure that you get your tackles lower and eliminate the risk of making contact and being sent off the field with a red or yellow card. If you want to risk going in high and making a massive tackle and dislodging that ball and you get it right, then then so be it, you've got it right. But if you get it wrong, and you catch somebody in the in in the head, then you're probably looking at at least a, a, a yellow card, probably more so a red card. So my message to be the players would be, like, get your tackles legal, get them lower, and you know don't run the risk. One of the most important thing is your own safety and your opposition player safety, and also don't run the risk of having
1: sent off in the game. Well, Nigel, we were intending in this section to have loads of questions, but uh, we only got one topic in, and that proves how difficult it is yeah. for referees and actually for players alike. But uh, as we said before, it's going to have to uh, get
3: port- the messages. More importantly, to pundits and commentators yeah, exactly. more are they the ones having the real problem? Thank you very much, Nigel. Cheers, Nigel. All the best, boys. Cheers to that.
1: Well, that means we've got two seconds for Wales and the. <laughs> no, not look. The fact is, there are quite a few injuries. But in the back row especially, uh, Wales have such a blessing at seven that they could lend England a couple of players without any problem at all. Uh, New things. What about Jonah Holmes? How much do you... Quite a surprise inclusion, do you think?
3: He was a big surprise. Not nobody um, had he wasn't on the radar of any of the so called, you know, experts in Wales. Um, they've obviously been keeping a close eye on him. Interesting choice. Watched him obviously Friday night then very closely for the Tigers against Arison, against the Scarlets, and he's rapid. He's got plenty what? of gas, very quick. Interesting, I was reading an article yesterday. Sean Edwards actually coached him at Wasp. He was a scrum half. Right. So he's got a good skill set. Um The likelihood is that he's going to play probably against Tonga, you know, because the back three when... Or maybe the Scotland game... No, but he's not going to be available for the Scotland game, sorry, because he's in the Premiership. You know, the likelihood is the first choice is going to be George North, Liam Williams, Lee Halfpenny. That's probably going to be a back three. So it just adds to the depth there and, you know, he's got his opportunity. And and Gatland does like to throw a wild card in there. Do you
1: reckon that this is the strongest ever Welsh squad
3: in depth? Not this... uh, In depth... In general, mm-hmm. yes. not this actual squad for the autumn, no. but when you look at the players missing, you know, we've got... Well, a no, when, well yes, so, uh, know, actually, yes. I, what, what I meant,
1: I shouldn't have said this squad. I said the squad, uh, when the squad's available.
3: I, I've never, in since I've been involved in rugby for the last 20, 30 years, I've never known us to have so much strength in depth. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at the summer tour, whenever, we, whenever Wales have rested any British Lions before, you know, we've been blown away. Rested all the British Lions and, well... Went over to Washington, beat South Africa or beat a second-string South Africa, but second-string Wales team, and likewise in Argentina. Then, um, so well, rank, yes. they're ranked number three now. Very strong. Should they
1: win all four? Will they win all four? I.
3: There's they not, can we, win all four. They can win all four. I think you know Scotland. We spoke to Rory earlier on. They struggle away from home. You know, it'd be very dis. I think I, you know, I you you'd be very disappointed if you lose any of those games. Mm. I think Australia have been a real bogey team for Wales over the last 10 years, but they are due a win. And I I think if we had everybody fit, yes, and if we can get to that Australia game, it's a second game up, um, you know, with everybody more or less fit or firing, I think we've got a very good chance And of of course, it depends
1: always on the team that South Africa pick.
3: It does by the last year where the European players are allowed Mm. to pick. That's where we've beaten two very Mm. poor South African teams over the last couple of years. So it, it does, Australia will be, You know, the bit of momentum after the championship, after beating Australia, but it it is. And I think you've got to go at least three from four. But it's interesting McGatlin. He doesn't put much onus on the ultimate nationals. He never has. This will be an experiment ready for a year's time.
1: Well, time now to switch focus to the women's game and the women's Terrell Premier 15s. Rachel Burford, the Queen's ladies' captain and included in the Red Roses squad for this summer, is on the line to help us with this. Hi, Rachel. Hello. Are you well? I'm good, thank you, yes. As I said, um, we're just speaking off air. I'll be as quick as I can because I know you've got to feed the dog. (laughs) The glamours, the glamours of life at the top, eh?
5: Yeah, that's how we roll all happy.
1: Well, look, um, a new top, Loughborough Lightning, going well. Big win against uh, the Darlington Modern Park Sharks, including a hat trick for Charlotte Pierce. Um, is that, uh, well, I, I think it was probably expected. What about Pierce as a player? Um, well, Charlotte
5: Pierce has kind of been coming up, came on the radar last year for England and has just kind of been excelling since. And having a lot of experience um, mm. last season with the Red Roses, and now she's just excelling at club. And when you've got the likes of um, Katie McLean, um, you know, supporting and helping mm. her down at that um, at the rugby club, then you know she's only going to keep excelling. And, and she takes her chances. You know, she's, she's got that kind of no fear factor, mm. um, and it's obviously paying off for her.
1: Well, look, the the top of the table it looks more competitive than ever. Can Loughborough sustain this?
5: You know they're a very good side. That you know, from in the forwards and in the backs, they both both got a lot of experience and a lot of strength and depth. You know, I think it'll be quite telling. You know, if some internationals step out of that, how clubs survive in that sort of environment and how they can they can continue to operate to the level that they've been playing at at the moment. And so I wonder, you know, with somebody like Katie day McLean in there. You know, being very directive in terms of the way that they're playing, and and also Sarah Hunter in the pack. It would be interesting to see how the you know their depth of their club players can step up and to yeah. fill those roles when when they have to step out for international duty. And obviously, it is a long season, and with players who are involved in international, there's obviously a risk of um, you know potentially resting players or losing players to injuries. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's, it, they've, they've they've gone really well so far this season. You know, Reese has really worked hard on the team and the culture, and so you know, I think they can sustain it. But there's always, you know, there's always things there and elements that could change that.
1: Yeah. Well, Saris before uh, the weekend were unbeaten, but uh, you managed to do it. Came from behind to down them. Uh, look, how did you stop the? I mean, Saracens have got significant power, haven't they? Certainly in the park and elsewhere. How did you manage to get to grips with that?
5: I think like that was one of our key things. We, we know how strong and powerful a lot of their players are. And if you let them come at you, then they take a hell of a lot of ground, that keep most of the possession, and get the majority of the momentum of the game. So we, get to, we really set our thought out about our defence, if we. Mm-hmm. Um, and Paul Gustard actually come down and do some work with us on Tuesday prior to the game and we just we, we made that a real key area of ours
3: mm-hmm. but
5: that was an area that we were going to attack to get the ball back from them and not allow them to kind of get the momentum of the game um, and we got that right in parts of the game it wasn't perfect but um, that kind of stopped the big players um, you know kind of running rampage as they normally do and allowed the momentum to stay with us.
1: The things are going well the setup down there is good where do you think you uh, need to improve to to, to to run out top.
5: I think so far our issue has just been our consistency mm-hmm. throughout the whole game. So we, if you used to look at every single one of our games, there's moments of brilliance, you know, really good discipline, really good game understanding, really good momentum changes within the game. But they're only snippets. We need to find a way to to make that an 80 minute performance because you look at like the Lafayette game. You know, we were we were kind of in it, and then you know we have a 20 minute spell where we're not. We're not focusing and good sides punish you in that manner. Um, We need to make sure that we don't have those kind of slip-ups in those moments. And as we showed, and I think playing against Saracens, who are a very good side, we got 99% of what we wanted to do right, which shows that if if we can keep on, you know, all keep on the same page and make sure that we all... Um, or understanding where we want to get to yeah. and be able to put in a solid 80 minutes and that will allow us to, to beat anybody on the day.
1: Well, obviously, a better domestic form means uh, the welcome headache or right headache for national selectors. Let's briefly mention the Red Roses. You in the squad again and uh, the games. This time around, USA Alliance Park, Canada... Castle Park, Doncaster, Island, Twickenham, double header with England, Australia. So, and there were no autumns last year. I don't think so. Good place to start. Where? When does training and the camp start?
5: Um, this has already started. We had um, we had a camp back in September, no, beginning of October. Mm-hmm. We had a four day camp where we predominantly focused all on rugby. So it wasn't like a fitness testing camp or anything mm-hmm. like that. It was all about the rugby, about what how we we're going to play, how we're going to change a few things up this year. We've obviously got. Um, bit of a new look squad, new players coming in and how we can utilise some of their strengths and and see where we get where we are as a, as a new
1: look squad So prediction out of uh, out of three? Well, uh, we're going to aim <laughs> to win all three of exactly. course <laughs> Exactly, yeah. that's a conference uh, you know that, yeah. that's a conference <laughs> we like Rachel we'll let you go now uh, Rachel Burford, thank you very much as Queen's ladies captain and including the Red Roses squad uh, for the autumns That's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph and Remy Martin. Thank you to my co-host Martin Williams and, as always, my producer, Abby Patterson. Remember, please do subscribe to the podcast to make sure that you don't miss an episode and why not write a review, good or bad. We don't uh, mind, well, we do mind, but we'd like to know what we're getting wrong and right. But for now, it is time to say goodbye.